All right, guys, you're back with Dane and Nick, podcast episode 12. Today, we're going to be talking about some college hoops. And uh, pretty, if you haven't followed us yet or listened to us yet, essentially, we got a straightforward style. We're covering Pac-12 hoops, Pac-12 football, and, you know, it's football season. But there will be a little zing, you know, a little, a little, little, little bit of flair to it. But so, if you look around the conference this week, oh, sorry, I did forget to mention something vitally important. If you've been here before, you know the spiel. We have lives, Dane and I have lives, your publisher, our publisher's lives, and you, the people, have lives. So we're going to get your favorite team covered in 90 seconds, get you in, out, and back on your day, or back into your day. So the biggest result from this past weekend has got to be the Colorado victory over Oregon. Uh, this victory proves that the buffs are for real, and we have another kind of top-tier um, team in conference. Um, the kind of upsetting, most upsetting loss for the Pac-12 as a whole is going to be uh, UW's loss to UCLA, which is really a head-scratcher. They're playing USC tonight. The podcast was recorded before that, so maybe they'll be able to right the ship. And as always, you know, I got to tell you about my tea of the week. I'm drinking some chamomile lavender tea. Got the nice, chill, balanced vibe going, and we'll get you sent over to Dane. So, Dane, do your thing. Always good to hear from you. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, one big game that you forgot to mention was Colorado losing to Oregon State. Uh, that was uh, a huge shock. I think it was even more shocking. Well, it wasn't more shocking than the Washington-UCLA game, but it was uh, pretty close to it. Um, Colorado coming off that victory to Oregon, nobody expected the Beavers to walk out of there with a win, and that just shows, I guess, the balance in the conference. And on any given night, any team can beat anyone. I mean, Washington can lose in Seattle to UCLA, and Colorado can lose in Boulder to Oregon State. So it's just been a it was a crazy first week. It was a lot of fun, and let's just jump right into breaking down each team. So we're going to switch up the format just a little bit this week. We are going to work our way from uh, top to bottom geographically. We're going to start with Washington and Washington State and um, either finish with Arizona, Arizona State, or Utah, Colorado because Utah, Colorado are a little bit of outliers in in terms of the direct uh, north-south, you know, um, directional sense, whatever. And uh, so first off, we're talking about the Huskies. And as previously mentioned, they suffered a really, really tough loss to – UCLA, and to me, this uh, really kind of rings some alarms in the program in Seattle. You know, it, it is the first game, but they've had some questionable losses this year, and to be quite frank, it's unacceptable. They have arguably the best player in conference in Isaiah Stewart. They have uh, an amazing point guard, Kentucky transfer, and uh, Quad A Green. So they have the pieces. They have another um, five-star freshman in, in McDaniels, and so the fact that they're not getting it done is a problem, and they need to turn this around immediately. There's no excuse for this, plain and simple. One question I raised to the program is, is Mike Hopkins falling a little bit too much in love with the 2-3 zone? Um, if you're more athletic than you, than your other team, all you really need to do is play man-to-man if you're well-coached. So maybe falling a little bit um, in love with his classic zone. And for the Huskies, they need to figure it out. Um, a lot of time left, so no need to freak out, but this loss was very disconcerting. 
Yeah, it was certainly a bad loss, but um, I, I like what Hopkins does up there with that zone defense. I'm a big fan of the style that he runs there, and they followed it up with a dismantling of USC by like 32 points, and the zone defense looked elite in that game. I mean, Andy Enfield and USC had no idea how to attack it, and they were just settling for threes that they weren't hitting, and that's the design of the defense is to force teams to shoot threes um, and just basically force your opponent to to beat you from the three-point line. Um, And in the UCLA game, uh, Jaden McDaniels fouled out with 15 minutes to go in the second half, and he was playing with four fouls after, like, the first, like, handful of minutes or something ridiculous he he got a technical foul for throwing the ball at a UCLA player and just I've said numerous times in both the published uh, published pieces that I have and on Twitter that Washington has no depth they they don't have any depth at all they have three very talented players and Isaiah Stewart is one of the best in the country but if one of their stars goes down, it's there's no depth there, and so that's a big issue uh, for them moving forward. We're going to go across the state talking about the Cougars. And the Cougs, wow, man, they pulled off the biggest win for them in a minute. Okay, I see you, WSU, out there in Pullman. I see you. But no, um, in all seriousness... Um, they played UCLA. Um, they lost to USC earlier in the week. Uh, their kind of best interior player, Jeff Pollard, was injured in the USC game, which virtually destroyed any chances of them realistically winning. But against uh, UCLA, they uh, were down by eight points with about 10 minutes left in the game, something along those lines. They switched to a 2-3 zone, which frustrated the Bruins. And uh, WSU found a nice balanced offense attack. Um, they took the lead back and forth game. And uh, eventually they were down by three points with, you know, one final possession to tie the game. They had a nice play drawn up and their star, CJ Ellaby, hit a nice three-pointer, sent the game into overtime. He'd struggled mightily the first two Pac-12 games. So huge confidence boost for the kid. And if you're just looking at the Cougars, uh, they ended up winning in overtime, uh, not handily, but comfortably. If you're looking at the Cougars, they're not going to win the conference. That's just unrealistic. But there was energy in that stadium for the first time in five years. So head coach Kyle Smith is doing something. Um, yeah, bottom line, there's energy, there's hope, there's life. And for WSU, that's all you can really ask for a basketball program that's been dreadful since Clay Thompson left, to be quite frank. So the Cougs, huge win against the Bruins. Huge, huge, huge win. Yeah, it was a great win against UCLA. And I think if Kyle Smith continues to split series like these, even uh, if it's a home split, and certainly a road split. Uh, he has a really good chance of being the uh, conference's coach of the year. And that's a shock considering the state of that program. And he didn't really have time to recruit. Um, so these are players that aren't really even his. And he has revitalized that program. It's early in the season. They played a ton of cupcakes in non-conference. But... Um, ever since their trip to the Cayman Islands, they have really come together. I think since that trip, they've lost one game. Um, that was in November, so they're on a they're on a good stretch right now, and it's uh, good to see. It's good for the conference. 
as a whole, and if they continue to split those games, like I said, it's going to be uh, an interesting uh, award ceremony at the end of the year. But yeah, CJ Ellaby, great player, 19 points per game, uh, the fourth leading scorer in the conference, so uh, he's going to the either the NBA or professional leagues after this season. This is going to be the last year that Wazoo has him, so you got to use it, uh, use him up while he's here, and uh, who knows, maybe you can do some damage in the Pac-12 tournament. The next team, and uh, depending on the poll or whatever uh, kind of jurisdiction is not the right word here, but whatever kind of website or whoever ranked the Pac-12 before the season, Oregon was one of the favorites. Um, as previously mentioned, they suffered a loss to Colorado. I don't think that's anything to be concerned about. Colorado is a great, great team. Um, they've proved that now with wins over Dayton and Oregon really kind of boosting their resume. But if we get back to the Ducks here, first and foremost, the loss to Colorado, let that go, move on. It is what it is. I think it was a very, very vital win to be able to take down Utah. Um, Timmy Allen, the Utah have looked really nice this year, um, early or still early, but Oregon was able to win that game on the road, get their conference record back to 1-1, one and, one, and avoid some serious damage because no one wants to start off the conference season 0-2, plain, uh, plain and simple. And if you look at the Ducks, they have a bunch of players, and good players, like Nafali Dante and like just a bunch of players, honestly. I can name a couple, but you'll, you'll get it. Essentially, this team is going to go as far as Peyton Pritchard takes them, bottom line. He's a great point guard. I believe he's a senior now. He's already played in a Final Four. And his defense, his energy, his attack, his aggressive attacks to the hoop, and um, all around just his decision-making. He is that leader that's needed. And the Ducks will go as far as he takes them. We'll see what this means for them the rest of the season. Yeah, so Oregon has never won in Boulder. They're now 0-10 against Colorado out there in Boulder. they It's just... It's their bugaboo. It's their just they've never been able to overcome it. Um, Colorado joined the Pac-12 in 2011, and they just haven't figured it out up there. It's a very tough environment to play in, uh, regardless of the name on your jersey. And so it's always going to be a tough out to come away with a victory in Boulder. And they just, again, couldn't get it done despite, you know, having a great non-conference season, having a loaded roster, talented at nearly every position, and then depth across the board with, you know, a Hall of Fame coach. They still can't win in Boulder. It's just one of those things that um, they're just going to have to figure it out. Um, But, yeah, uh, moving forward, Oregon plays the Arizona schools this week. They start off on Thursday against Arizona, which is a huge matchup, uh, nationally relevant game, and it'll give us a real good understanding of where Oregon uh, sits in the pecking order, um, because a loss um, a loss at home here would be give you two losses already at the beginning of the year, which is uh, going to be tough to overcome. Wow, silly me. I thought that the Beavers for sure lost to Colorado. And now that I double-checked the score, they uh, beat the Buffs, which is a huge win for them. Huge. I was ready to go on a rant how their season's pretty much done with the 0-2 start. 
They face ASU and then Arizona and Washington. I thought there's a very real chance to start off 0 and 5, but now I have to change the pace here. So the Beavers coming out um, one and one in a kind of that Colorado Utah road trip is huge. It's huge. This is a team that is it's it's hard to figure out because yet are they under talented? You just want to be point blank. Yes, they're under talented. Um, Trace Tinkle is an amazing player. Pac-12 player of the year type candidate. Kyler Kelly is an anchor down low. And Ethan Thompson is a solid shooter. But from top to bottom, they're not going to be able to hang with Arizona, Washington, and um, the Colorado, Oregon type team. In general, they can steal some wins here. Obviously, they just beat Colorado. So it's nice to see that win for them in the Bees program. Now, that game against ASU is still paramount. And I'm talking paramount because even though they're 1-1, and one, if they lose, they could very realistically end up 1-4. and four. I don't see them beating Washington or Arizona. So they're going to be led. I'd say Kyler Kelly is kind of just a defensive anchor. But Trace Tinkle and Ethan Thompson need to be consistent scorers and open up options for other players. That's the bottom line for them. They'll go as far as those two take them. Yeah, I agree. The Oregon State victory at Colorado uh, to split the mountain trip was um, the biggest win of their season. Uh, it's really important to split on the road. And um, for their at-large bid hopes in the NCAA tournament, uh, that's a resume win right there. So really, they only have one bad loss, and that was uh, the Texas A&M game. And the margin of defeat there was which really was what hurt them. It was a true road game, but they lost it by like 15. So that is, that's not a good, uh, a good result because Texas A&M is not good this year. Um, other than that... Their uh, other losses are obviously Utah earlier in the week, which is a tough environment to play in. And Utah has some good wins this season, so that's not a bad loss. And the other one was Oklahoma at the beginning of the year. And so um, I'm not really sure how Oklahoma has done so far since then, but um, that'll be one to keep an eye on. So, yeah, moving forward, I think your uh, goal... Uh, as the Beavers is to get a, as high of a seed as you can for the Pac-12 tournament. Um, a top four seed, which gets you a, a buy, is probably out of the picture. But you want to probably be in the top six uh, and seventh at worst. So you need to continue to split on the road and defend home court, starting with Arizona State. As we continue down I-5 now, we're... Uh... Headed down to Berkeley, where we're going to talk about the Cal Golden Bears. And uh, with their new head coach, Mark Fox, this year, um, he's had success at other programs, most notably Georgia. But, I mean, he he entered arguably the toughest rebuilding job. Um, it's With WSU, UCLA, and Cal, you can't really – they're all tough, to be quite frank. So, they got blown out by their rival, Stanford. Um, Stanford's looked solid so far this year. I'm not – on their hype train just yet. Um, we'll get actually into that in the next team, next segment. But for Cal, um, I mean, they're really in an Oregon State, but way, 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 way worse situation. Um, Oregon State's actually pretty solid. Cal really doesn't have a lot. And when I say a lot, they basically have nothing. So they played WSU next Thursday. Um, I believe it's a home game. Do not quote me on that. And that turns into a must-win situation for them. If they can't beat the Cougars, they're for sure going to lose to Washington. They already lost them. Uh, they actually upset the Huskies last year, so UW remembers that. So they must beat the Cougars in their next game if they want any early season Pac-12 success. 
Um, on the bright side for Cal, they have found a reliable scorer in Matt Bradley, averaging just a, just over 17 points a game. And a Cream South adds a couple points a game, around like 10, something along those lines. So they have a nice one-two combo, but they must beat the Cougs or else they're in serious trouble. Yeah, the Wazoo game for Cal is really important. I think it's one of the few games that they have a realistic chance of winning. And the other one is when they travel to Wazoo uh, and then when they play uh, UCLA. Everybody else is um, clearly outmatched them. So this is really their few chance or, you know, one of their few chances to get a victory in conference play. And unfortunately for them, uh, Kyle Smith and Washington State, they're on a roll and playing really well. They just beat UCLA. So it's going to be a tough out. Um, As Nick said, Matt Bradley uh, is their star, is their leader. He's averaging 17 points a game and likely has a professional career in front of him. So depending on how he likes the coaching staff, he may stick around for one more year. I think he's a, he's a sophomore, so he could stick around for two potentially. But um, I sort of have the feeling that after this year, he's probably going to go pro. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a tough situation there. Really, like I said in our very first podcast, it's all about recruiting and I said if Fox is able to get a 500 season, he's going to you know, have a great recruiting class, and he's not been able to do that. So it's going to be a long rebuild out there in Berkeley, and, I mean, you just got to have patience. All right, as we uh, cross uh, the bay over to the farm, if it's across the bay, I'm not, I'm not from there, but taking a wild guess. You're probably not going to like this response unless you really dislike Stanford. But they're not that good. Um, I don't know how else to say it. They, they've gotten off to a very hot start. But from a talent-wise, they're not that good. Um, to be fair, they have found a lot of success from Os- Oscar Da Silva, averaging just over 17 a game, and Tyrell Terry at 15. Those two are ballers. Um, not going to deny that. And if you look at their non-conference schedule, They've actually played pretty solid um, in terms of they have a win over Oklahoma and uh, but and they lost to Butler by one point, which is actually a lot more impressive than may you know like initially appear. Um, but for me, if you look at Stanford and head coach Jared Haas, uh, Jared or Gerard, sorry, not trying to mispronounce the name. I believe it's Jared Haas. They don't have the talent top to bottom, and I think right now they're just kind of a product of they got off to a hot start and really. Um, kind of followed that trend. They just, they rode the momentum and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But when they play Washington and uh, Washington state this upcoming week, I think Washington's going to expose them, wipe the floor with them, beat them by like 30. And this is a Huskies team that really hasn't played up to their potential thus far this year. I actually realistically think the Cougars can beat them. I, I seriously hundred percent believe that. So if you're Stanford, get it together. You're not that good. I mean, don't get it together. You're balling out, but you're still not that good. Okay. Yeah. For Stanford, the key is Dejon Davis. Uh, if you listen to our podcast before, I mentioned him, I think, every time I've talked about Stanford, and he's basically the key for them. He's uh, their upperclassman guard. Uh, this year, he's moved more into a secondary role, while Tyrell Terry has taken over for, um, you know, basically running the point and scoring um, a lot. And so his continued adjustment to his role is key and he's played um significantly better over the last few games 
He's coming off a 20-point performance, and he is um, what's going to make or break them. Uh, Tyrell Terry, he's going to struggle a little bit in conference play, but I expect him to get back to um, 20 points a game or so that he was averaging uh, for most of the non-conference. Um, of course, De Silva is uh, their big guy who uh, is skilled with the ball and um, finishes around the rim. So, uh, and for the Washington State matchup, I do think that Wazoo can upset them, uh, but that's more of a testament to Wazoo's development. Uh, the The Washington game is going to be very close. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, and I think Stanford is a bit better than um, how Nick views them. So, I, I think they're a tournament team at this point of the season. All right, we are still moving south down I-5. And uh, the next team we're going to cover here is the Trojans of USC. So a little quick disclaimer, as mentioned, this podcast is being recorded before the USC-UW game. So if USC beats UW, I actually kind of changed my mind on them. But I really don't think they're going to. So if you look at USC, um, they're a middle-of-the-pack Pac-12 team. I feel pretty comfortable saying that right from the beginning of the season. But... I like grab my chin as I said that. I'm not not really sure why. I'd like the studious pose. But um so if you look at the Trojans, the the main thing for me is they have Onyeke Ogweyu. I I believe I pronounced that right. And he's an athletic freak. Um he was able to absolutely eat alive WSU down low. Uh the Cougs had no one that can hang with him. So uh Onyeke is going to be able to do that to any kind of bottom of the tier team like uh, WSU or Cal or um, UCLA, but we'll get to that. Uh, any team without a really solid athletic big. And um, for the Trojans, yeah, just middle of the road. He's a good player. Got a nice little post move. Um, very athletic. And uh, another thing that stood out to me was that they don't have a lot around him. They have a Rekovic down low. He's a nice little double-double player. But um, I was kind of disappointed in five-star recruit Isaiah Mobley. He really didn't do a lot against the Cougs. So USC has the talent. Let's see if they can put the pieces together. Yeah, so USC was destroyed by Washington, and that's just a terrible matchup for the Trojans. Um, To beat that zone defense, you need a very uh, talented coach who knows how to attack it. And the one thing on Andy Enfield is he's not very good at the X's and O's part of coaching. He's a great recruiter, uh, one of the best in the whole country. But um, the X's and O's of actual game management and adjustments in game, drawing up plays, etc., it's it's just not there. And you can see how they've recruited so well over the last five years, but haven't really done anything with that talent. So uh, for them, um, the guard play is what's going to be their uh, key to improvement. So Jonah Matthews is a good player, but um, really Isaiah Mobley, uh, well, he's a forward, but he also needs to play better, as Nick mentioned. Um, but for the guards, it's Elijah Weaver and Daniel Otami. Um, so Weaver needs to uh, pick things up. And um, I think if if those secondary guards, uh, not Jonah Matthews, uh, pick things up, it'll be much easier for their offense to run. And yeah, Onyeka Okongwu, um, I've been saying this for about a week. I think he's the best player in the conference. Um, I think Isaiah Stewart is probably going to end up being a higher draft pick. But um, I think Onyeko Kongwu, at least in my eyes, is um, my uh, top pick in the conference right now.
Dun 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 dun. Alright, that's my very perfect attempt at the UCLA Bruins fight song. So this is gonna be this is gonna be this is this is gonna be my little surprise team. I don't know how good they are yet. I don't know if they fluke their way against UW, but they passed the eye test. I'm again. I don't think they're gonna be like amazing, but they they might have the potential to steal kind of uh, some wins and get to that mid Pac-12 level. So the reason why is they have a Cody Riley, Prince Ali, and Chris Smith, and these three players make a pretty good tandem. In particular, I really like um, uh, Prince Ali's. Uh, All right, um, I really like uh, Prince Ali's uh, jump shot. He he's very dangerous and he's got a smooth fifteen footer, man. Uh, between Cody Riley and um, uh, blanking on the other dude's name right now, oh uh, Chris Smith, they have enough offense to really kind of carry the load. The other players can fill in. They have that random white boy shooter who can like make just about anything, and so they have the offensive pieces. And uh, you you <coughs> you add that. I'm just stutter, 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 stutter and get my rap career going right now. And so if you add that to um, Wow, this is an interesting segment here. If you add that to Mick Cronin's tough defense, their balance offense should be really good. And again, Prince Ali is a player to watch. I really like his game. Not NBA, but fun college player. So for UCLA, I mean, if you take away the Washington game, they've had a terrible season. And if you put the Washington game under a microscope, Jaden McDaniels barely played. So I'm just going to call that a fluke. And I don't think UCLA is that good. I mean, they just lost to Washington State in overtime. So, um, yeah, I mean, as Nick mentioned, they've got some players. I mean, there's no doubt that there's talent. It's just that I think they're adjusting to how Mick Cronin wants to run his system. And to their credit, they're improving. Um, you know, they're they're doing what he wants. I, I don't even know. It's what they run. It's not like a pack line defensive system. It's just whenever I think of Cronin, I just think of like grit and like hard work and strong defense. But um, I have no idea what they run on offense. And we'll see how they do the rest of the season. Um, for them, you're looking for postseason. Your only chance is an automatic bid at the uh, Pac-12 um, tournament. So to put yourself in the best situation, you want to be, uh, like Nick said, in the middle of the pack. And to do that, you need to continue to split series uh, and defend the home court coming up here against USC, which should be a fantastic game. So I believe that the Wildcats are back. Uh, they're not kind of at that top, top, top five Lou Olsen type Wildcats team, but Oh, yeah, we're talking about Arizona, if you didn't figure that one out. But so, um, for me, yeah, I think they're back. And mainly because they have four very explosive players. And so, you got Zeke Naji leading the way with around 16 points per game. You have Nico Mannion and you have Josh Green. They're about like 13 to like 12, 13 to 12 to 15 points. We'll call that range. So, anyway, they have a really good balance going on there. And... uh they also, um, the main thing I wanted to point out here is that if Chase Jeter is your fourth scoring option, this is a guy who started his career at Duke, they are dangerous. You got four players of that caliber, and you have a freshman in Zeke Naji, you have a senior in Chase Jeter. They're just very, very nicely balanced. 
And it's pretty cool to see them rebound after all that. Like, I think it's like the Adidas scandal. I don't like getting into drama and all that sort of stuff. But obviously, it was hanging over the program's head last year. And the results showed it. There's no other way to describe it. And if we're talking about one thing for the conference as a whole, Arizona is Pac-12 basketball. Other programs might not like that. But they have been the gold prototype. And if they can get back to that top tier level, maybe not win the conference, but you know, uh, like at least a six seed in the tournament, be a real threat. It'd be great for the conference as a whole, and it honestly make it just be a cool thing to see. All right, so Nick hit the keys, so I'm gonna go a little bit of a different route for players that he didn't mention. I just want to um, reemphasize Nico Mannion, averaging um, six assists per game with 14 points. He's the engine that drives the Arizona train. The key to their improvement is going to be the defensive side of the ball. Um, but for me, the, the key players that are emerging are bench players, um, role players. So first and foremost is Stone Gettings. Uh, he was gone for the three losses that Arizona has. He had a face fracture and a concussion. He finally returned against ASU and he's a, a vital part. It's, it's strange that Stone Gettings is, is key to Arizona's success, but, uh, he's a tall guy that can score inside and shoot the three, and he dribbles the ball well. So um, he's a very important piece. And then the, another name that most people might not um, know of is Christian Coloco. So he's a seven-foot freshman. Uh, he comes off the bench, averages maybe, I don't know, five or six minutes a game, but his playing time is continuing to increase. Uh, he just makes things happen when he's in the game. He he has a lot of blocks, and um, he's able to score on the offensive side. He's really kind of helter-skelter and um, you know, that's the reason why he doesn't get more playing time, but you know, he's a very important piece, um, for the cats moving forward, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And then certainly Max Hazard. If Max Hazard is hitting his threes, Arizona is almost unstoppable. What up, Dane? It's been it's been a little bit since I shouted you out. At the top of the podcast, you were there. It was good, homie. Alright, so we're hopping into Sun Devils hoops here. And um, I kind of think they're actually in a dire situation, as odd as that sounds. They had those terrible losses. Well, the terrible, terrible loss to St. Mary's. And then followed by a loss to Creighton, which wasn't so bad. And then um, getting dismantled by a rival. I believe they beat like some random school in between that. But they've been on a downward slide. And the program's really, really reeling a little bit. I think that Bobby Hurley is a good head coach. Um, if he can keep his cool, I, I like what he does defensively. And just, I liked him as a player, to be quite frank. So I, I like, if he can bring that same mentality, which he's proven the last couple of years, to keep that um, defensive-minded and smart shot selection, they should be all right. And if you look at the players, uh, one main thing I want to point out is Remy Martin's averaging 18 points per game. Good for him. I think he actually needs to get other players involved like if he could drop down to like 13 points per game and raise his assist numbers from like 3.5 to like six or seven assists per game it'd really help they have a lot of scores around him in Alonzo Verge Jr. Romello White and Rob Edwards so they have other guys who can put the ball in the hole they have some talent there they're not like bare like WSU Cal or uh, UCLA so Remy Martin really needs to share the ball and get his teammates involved and ASU needs to find their identity and get out of this crisis. Yeah, so really ASU is almost a one-man show with Remy Martin. Um, and when he's not, I mean, even when he is playing well, it's just he doesn't really have the pieces around him. 
And it's interesting because when Arizona State is shooting well, um, they're one of the best teams in the country. And But when they're not shooting well, they're the bottom of the Pac-12. So it's crazy the dramatic difference between a hot shooting night for them and a cold shooting night. And if you look back over the last few years, if you remember ASU's great runs in non-conference and even um, in the Pac-12 you know, not they don't have as much success in the Pac-12 versus the non-conference. But um, when you look at their success, a lot of it was done through three-point shooting, and they were just making ridiculous shots. Just they were on fire um, for like two non-conference seasons in a row, and they seem to have gone cold finally, and they can't really seem to overcome it. I mean. What is the offensive system that they run? It's not clear. They don't have an identity on defense. Um, Bobby Hurley is a good recruiter, but at a certain point, you're going to need to get some X's and O's in there to make your you know program have an identity beyond you know hot shooting. So it's it'll be interesting to see how it goes for them. So a lot of uh, people have uh, kind of like Stanford is maybe like the surprise team of the year. And like I said, UCLA, but that's on a much smaller scale. I'm talking like UCLA is going to win a couple games. But my real surprise team and maybe a team that can make the tournament and wasn't projected before the season is the Utah Utes. I think they've looked really nice. And Timmy, there's a lot of good players in this conference. I probably said this about a couple of players. Timmy Allen is arguably the best player in the conference. He's averaging over 21 points per game seven rebounds and just a dominating force and yeah yeah no one really wants to see him defend him he's complimented by both gotch and um that's just another kind of what well, i'm blanking on a word here just another scoring threat I, i'm blanking on two words ladies and gentlemen and uh on top of that they have rylan jones who's a great who's a great shooter and so you have this trio i always believe that's the general rule in basketball you got three players who can put the ball in the hole uh, you'll be all right. You got a chance. That's assuming you play defense, do the little things right, smart shot selection. But you have a chance with three scorers, and especially a scorer like Timmy Allen. And I think it's important to shout out Larry Kostoviak. They were pretty bare after last year. They lost a lot of players, like pretty much every single player. And uh, they rebounded. And I'm just I'm impressed with the way they played so far this year, to be quite frank. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they respond going forward. Their next game is against Colorado, and if they can beat that, they've officially arrived. Timmy Allen leads the Pac-12 in scoring. Um, the real question for him is: he is he going to go pro at the end of the year? Um, and if he chooses to come back for his junior year, Utah is going to be um, one of the teams that, or at least, have a chance, realistic chance, of winning the conference next season. This year. Um, because his supporting cast is mostly freshmen, um, I don't know how well. There's some freshmen. There's also uh, both Gotch, but he's a, he's a sophomore. But the point is that they're a young team, and when you have a young team, uh, you play inconsistent at times, and you've seen that through their season. It really, if you take away that Myrtle Beach um, disaster where they lost to Tulane and Coastal Carolina. They've had um, one of the best seasons of any team in the conference. But those two losses are really damaging, and I think that's why they're not quite in um, 
all the bracket predictions at this point. Um, though if they continue to play like they're, they've been playing, um, they'll probably get invited to the NCAA tournament. I think right now there's four teams that are a shoe-in, and then there's a, a fifth and sixth and possibly a seventh that would be considered a bubble team right now, and Utah is certainly on the bubble. So if they can beat Colorado, like Nick said, they'll move themselves in solidly and out of the bubble. Do you know how bad I want to say that in the Utah segment, but just forgot to say it? So we're slipping it in. Sorry, Colorado. Sorry, Colorado. I'm cutting in your time. So for the Buffs, what a weird week and what is just an up and down season thus far. So we're going to, we're done with non-conference, so we'll move on just, but to have a huge win over Oregon like that and really, it looks like, okay, they're back. Like this is the team we all thought they are and to follow it to, um, by a loss to Oregon State, which isn't embarrassing by any by any means necessary. But again, Colorado was picked by a lot of people to win the conference preseason, and these losses aren't acceptable if that's if that is your goal. If you're just trying to make the tournament, you'll be all right. You still got a lot of games you can win, but you can't be losing to teams like Oregon State. And again, I think Oregon State's very good, but still, if you're projected to win the conference, find a way. Uh, one thing I really want to say is I believe it's McKinley Wright four. I think I know how to read. McKinley Wright, 4-6. Sorry, man. Struggling with my Roman numeral game. He's doing a great job of passing. He's had uh, 10 assists, 10 assists, and 8 in his last 3 in no collective order. So I love the way he gets his teammates involved. Definitely one of the best point guards in conference, if not the best. You have uh, Tyler Bay, 15 feet and in. Guard-forward combination, great player. And Deshaun Schwartz is going to spread the floor shooting. So the Buffs have a big game against Utah, where if they can win, they can kind of regain momentum. Well, if you listen to our first ever podcast about basketball, I said in my very intro, first intro, that I wasn't on the Colorado train and I don't buy the hype. And I still don't. So um, nothing has changed for me. The loss to Oregon State wouldn't have shocked me. It did shock me, though, because they just came off the win against Oregon. So um, just because of the massive contrast between those two games, that's what was shocking about it. If you had told me at the beginning of the year that Oregon State beat Colorado, I wouldn't be surprised. If you had told me that Oregon State had beat Colorado in Boulder, I would have been a little bit more surprised. But um, it is what it is. Colorado is who they are. Um, the, the key for them, as I said in the first podcast, is Evan Batty. And for me, um, his abilities inside, uh, but more than scoring and rebounding and blocking, it's his ability to pass the ball um, from from the inside out, uh, and is very key for them. And Deshaun Swartz, his ability to hit threes, and Lucas uh, Seawert, and Shane Gatling as well. So um, three point shooting is key for them. And my eyes, and of course, McKinley Wright's a great player. He's going to the NBA. Bruh. We're at the end, by the way. But bruh. I was cooking some food during the podcast, and I burnt that mutter. Man, I like, like, I just remembered towards the end of the podcast. I'm like, I'm cooking food, aren't I? 
I am recooking food now. It just, I thought y'all really want to know that. That's some clarifying information. Maybe even more arguably than any of the Pac-12 information we've given you. So as always, thanks for tuning in. Um, how do I want to conclude this today? I mean, Dane's going to take you out because Dan's, Dan, because Dane's the man with the plan and the action, you know? Come on, Mr. Dane MC Fresh himself. He's going to take you out. But I guess the most notable thing looking around the conference is there was no consistent trend. Um, three of the four top projected team, three of the four top projected teams um, suffered um, kind of embarrassing losses. UW to UCLA, um, Colorado to Oregon State, and um, who else is up there? Oh, and Oregon. I mean, I guess the Oregon loss isn't embarrassing to be fair. So two of the four teams, but there really is no clear direction in the Pac-12. But I will say, from top to bottom, it appears that the teams have improved. Um, even at the very bottom, like you look at teams like the Cougs and UCLA, they they look like teams again. So it's pretty cool to see no dumpster fires, maybe with the exception of Cal. And yeah, just for the conference as a whole has gotten better. Um, Stanford, you still suck. And uh, Dane, take us out. Thanks as always, Dane. From Seattle to AZ, deuces. So if the season were to end today, there'd be probably six teams who got invites into the NCAA tournament. For sure, there's going to be four. Those for sure are Oregon, Arizona, Colorado, and Washington. The bubble teams who I think will get in are Stanford and Utah. And then there is um, an outside of the bubble, or I guess you could call them the next four out, or you know, however they want to describe it. And I think on that list is USC and Oregon State. Um, Arizona State has played themselves out of tournament discussions. UCLA was never in. And with Oregon State's win, they have bumped themselves back into the conversation. I think of the bubble teams um, that I mentioned, the one with the best resume is probably Utah, though I think the team with the most capability of winning a game in the NCAA tournament is USC. And the wild card is certainly Utah because they're so inconsistent. Um, but yeah, in the end, I think the Pac-12 gets anywhere from five to six. I'd be surprised if there was more than six. So really, it's going to come down to which of the following teams get in over each other. Utah, Oregon State, USC. And um, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be a great second week. <laughs>